Welcome to this podcast titled Fall Injuries in Older Persons, where we are drawing on the content from the March 2022 print edition of the Clinical Communicate. I'm Dr. Nicola Cunningham, the Editor-in-Chief of this series. In this podcast episode, we will look at some of the specific challenges clinicians face in assessing older patients who have had a fall. We hear about patients who fell from a standing position and about patients who fell from a height. Different scenarios, but unfortunately, what followed for all of them was that the extent of their injuries was not fully appreciated until it was too late. A fall in an older person should make us stop and pay attention. The stats are worrying. They occur commonly, and the risk of complications is significant. Falls are the leading cause of trauma-related death in older people. And yet, for some reason, an older person who falls isn't always approached as a major trauma. Nor is their presentation always recognised as a potential forewarning of a medical problem. We know that there are many anatomical and physiological reasons why an older person may suffer more harm. And when we're talking about a fall, the harm may not be the injury itself. It might be what that fall represents. A person who is increasingly frail or is developing chronic impairments or an acute medical illness. Things that should not be missed. This is one of the key messages from our expert featured in this podcast. The other key message from our expert is one that's been a bit of a light bulb moment for me personally. The idea that a shift in language can be the key to a change in practice. In the case of falls in the older person, we need to start by retiring a commonly used term to reduce the risk of anchoring bias that then influences the attention and the treatment that the patient may or may not receive. So simple and so effective. Continue listening to this podcast to find out what that term is. And from that point onwards, every time you hear that term being used, you might find yourself explaining to your colleagues why they should avoid using it. And in that small, simple gesture, you'll be sharing the lessons learned and making a difference. Let's now listen to Luke Ward narrate the editorial. Clinical Communique Podcast Episode 8 Fall Injuries in Older Adults Podcast Contents Editorial Case number one, don't fall for it. Fall injuries in the older person are serious. Case number two, tunnel vision strikes again. More on the matter, from up high or down low, an expert commentary, the trips and traps of falls. Editorial, Dr. Nicola Cunningham. Welcome to episode eight of the Clinical Communique podcast, based on the March 2022 edition of the Clinical Communique. Whereas our previous podcast focused on pediatric patients and the difficulties in assessing symptoms and signs in the younger age group, this podcast looks at some of the specific challenges clinicians face in assessing older patients. We present two cases of falls in the older patient that resulted in chest or head injuries. In each case, the extent of injury was not fully appreciated until it was too late. This occurred in one case because a radiological investigation was not ordered that would have identified areas of concern, and in the other, because a clinician was not aware of the significance of the presentation and the associated risks of complications in that age group of older patients. In addition to the cases are two shorter case vignettes that reiterate how common falls in the older person are, with important messages about primary and secondary prevention of falls in the older person. 
Our expert commentary in this podcast is by Dr. Glenn Arentz, a specialist emergency physician with extensive clinical and research experience in the care of the older person. Dr. Arentz holds prominent roles in the development of best practice guidelines for the management of acute geriatric syndromes at local, national and international levels. Bringing attention to the size and complexity of the problem, he provides practical measures to deal with the low signal to high noise scenario of a fall in the older patient. He astutely highlights the importance of retiring a commonly used phrase to reduce the risk of anchoring bias in the clinical care of these patients. The best management strategy for falls in the older person is to prevent the falls from occurring. The February 2022 edition of the Residential Aged Care Communique and its accompanying podcast, Episode 11, provides a comprehensive overview of this area of work by presenting another two cases of falls in residential aged care settings, followed by expert commentaries that skillfully enunciate the need for a multifactorial approach to falls prevention. The number of falls a person has increases with age and with their level of frailty. Older adults are more susceptible to injury from lesser mechanisms of trauma than younger adults. Once a patient falls, the odds of preventable mortality increase with age. The presence of frailty, increasing age and fall frequency act synergistically to form a potent combination of risks. This podcast looks at the health consequences of falls in the older person, specifically the importance of appropriate investigation, diagnosis, and multidisciplinary treatment of older trauma patients. Recognition of the risks of anticoagulant medication, trauma call criteria that incorporate age, lower thresholds for advanced imaging, and early involvement of specialists in treating older trauma patients are important factors in reducing preventable harm. Major trauma in the older adult population is on the rise, In Victoria, in the 2019-2020 period, the most common cause of hospitalised major trauma was falls from a low height, that is, less than one metre. This was 35%. 80% of those hospitalisations were adults over the age of 65 years. More than half of that group, 54%, sustained a head injury. Falls were the most common cause of all injury deaths at 46.1%. It is imperative that as clinicians, we pay close attention to our patients that are at risk of falling or who have suffered a fall. This is an area of medicine where small changes in our process could result in substantial improvements to health outcomes for older adults. Let's now listen to the case from South Australia. Case number one, don't fall for it. Fall injuries in the older person are serious. From Case Pracy author, Dr. Rachel Ma, General Practitioner and Forensic Physician. Clinical Summary Mr. GC was an 81-year-old, well and active man with a past history of hypertension, type 2 diabetes and gout. He presented to the local regional hospital after pruning a tree and falling from a ladder onto soft ground from a height of approximately 1.5 metres. Following the fall, he reported right-sided chest pain. On the day he presented, Mr. GC was assessed by Dr. R, a rural general practice registrar who was on call for the hospital. Dr. R found no clinical evidence to suggest Mr. GC had a pneumothorax, that is, a collapsed lung, or pneumonia. 
Dr. R requested a chest x-ray. However, this service was not available as it was a Sunday, and so the x-ray was deferred to the next day. Mr. GC was admitted to the hospital for observation and to await further investigation. When the x-rays were done and reported the next day, they showed fractures to the right ribs from the second to the eleventh ribs. The report was seen by Dr. W, another general practitioner from the same clinic as Dr. R, who was the duty doctor for the hospital that week. Mr. GC was provided with pain-relieving medications for his chest pain. His stoic disposition meant that it was difficult to gauge his level of pain, but over the coming days, he required large doses of analgesia and looked more uncomfortable than expected. A CT scan of Mr. GC's chest, abdomen and pelvis, done on day four of his admission, showed nine right-sided rib fractures, as well as fractures to three of Mr. GC's thoracic vertebrae. Bilateral pleural effusions were also seen, where there is fluid between the lung and the chest wall, with associated atelectasis or compression of parts of the lungs. On day five of Mr. GC's admission, a covering GP, Dr. C, took over his care and became concerned about his condition. Mr. GC was grey and sweaty, extremely breathless and barely able to speak due to pain. Dr. C organised for him to be urgently transported to a major trauma centre by helicopter. Once there, Mr. GC was found to be in profound shock with associated kidney failure. Despite intensive medical care, Mr. GC continued to deteriorate over the next 24 hours and the treating team discussed comfort measures with his family. Mr. GC was palliated and died later that day. Pathology. Mr. GC's cause of death, as determined from his medical records, was multi-organ failure complicating multiple right-sided rib fractures due to a fall from a ladder. Investigation. A coronial inquest was held to consider several issues, including whether Mr. GC was diagnosed in a timely manner, whether his treatment at the regional hospital was timely and appropriate, whether his deterioration was foreseeable, whether he should have been transferred to the tertiary hospital upon the diagnosis of multiple rib fractures, whether his death was preventable, and whether the general public should be educated about the dangers of older adults using ladders and working from heights. An intensive care physician gave evidence at the inquest that rib fractures in older persons can cause pneumonia, acute respiratory distress syndrome, pulmonary embolism, pneumothorax, aspiration, and atelectasis. The intensive care physician also noted that older patients with rib fractures are more likely than younger patients to suffer significant complications, take longer to heal, and may require intravenous infusions of analgesia to adequately control the associated pain. Once Mr. GC's multiple rib fractures were identified the day after his fall, he should have been transferred to a tertiary hospital for further management. The intensive care physician testified that had this occurred, it was very likely Mr. GC would have survived his injuries. Dr. W explained that he had not been aware of the evidence that multiple rib fractures in older patients are a significantly more serious issue than they are in the younger population and require care in a tertiary hospital with medical staff who are experienced in managing trauma patients. Dr. W considered that the small pleural effusions with associated atelectasis seen on CT to be a minor and would not have impaired ventilation or breathing. 
Mr. GC's vital signs had been normal up until he was seen by Dr. C on day five when he was transferred to a tertiary hospital. The lack of availability on X-ray services over the weekend at the regional hospital was considered by the coroner. This meant that Dr. R did not see the X-ray result and that Dr. W saw the result the day after Mr. G's fall. Dr. R gave evidence that had the X-rays been taken more promptly, he would have arranged for Mr. GC to be transferred to a tertiary hospital or at least sought specialist advice with regards to managing him. Dr. R further explained that the local GPs had been trying to have radiological services to the area improved for some time. During the inquest, evidence regarding the use of ladders by older adults was presented, which demonstrated a need for ladder safety education among older adults, namely the use of a supervising person, ladder placement, and safe practices with regards to reaching from ladders. Coroner's Findings The coroner found that Mr. GC's diagnosis was delayed because the x-rays could not take place until the day after he presented. Once his rib fractures were diagnosed, Mr. GC should have been transferred to a trauma centre. The fact that this did not occur was the main reason Mr. GC did not survive his injuries. And as a result of Dr. W not appreciating the seriousness of Mr. GC's injuries, nor for the potential for those injuries to cause life-threatening complications, Mr. GC remained in a low-acuity regional hospital until he was critically unwell. His transfer to a trauma centre on day five was too late to save his life. The coroner made the following recommendations for the local health network and the Australian Medical Association. That weekend and after-hours radiological services be made available at the regional hospital. That the diagnosis of multiple rib fractures in older adults should be made in a timely manner and if in a regional setting should prompt a request for advice from and or transfer to a trauma centre. That medical practitioners, especially those working in regional areas, should be educated regarding the seriousness of multiple rib fractures in older patients that there should be a public advertising campaign regarding the dangers of the use of ladders by older adults. Author's comments. It is important that when assessing an older person after any injury, even a seemingly trivial one, there is a low threshold for investigation, admission and referral. Injuries such as fractures and concussions can be relatively minor and self-resolving in young adults, but in older adults, such injuries can more readily evolve into debilitating and fatal complications. Early diagnosis and aggressive pain management strategies are key in the optimal management of chest trauma. Ultrasound-guided nerve blocks and patient-controlled analgesia are two advanced multimodal options for pain relief that should be considered from the outset. Let's now listen to the case from Tasmania. Case number two. Case title, Tunnel Vision Strikes Again, from Case Bracey author, Miss Libby Newman, Clinical Nurse Specialist. Clinical Summary. Mr. BL was an 81-year-old man who lived independently in a retirement village. His main medical complaint was hypertension and he enjoyed relatively good health. In the final 12 months of his life, however, his mobility had deteriorated and he had lost weight. 
While out shopping one day, Mr. BL was pushing a shopping trolley with a shuffling gait when his legs began to shake and he fell to the ground. An ambulance was called and he was transferred to the local regional hospital's emergency department. He was confused and had bruising to the back of his head and arms. He complained of chest pain later in the evening and was reviewed by the cardiology team. An ECG did not show any evidence of cardiac ischemia. Anticoagulation medication was commenced and Mr. BL was admitted to the hospital. Two days later, Mr. BL complained of a headache and was given paracetamol. Shortly afterwards, he was discovered slumped over in bed, unresponsive. A CT scan of Mr. BL's head taken after this demonstrated an extensive right-sided subdural hemorrhage. He was palliated and died later that night. Pathology. Mr. BL's cause of death following post-mortem examination was acute subdural hematoma in the setting of a closed head injury sustained in a fall from standing height. Significant contributing factors were identified as frailty of age and hypertension. Investigation. Mr. BL's death was reported by the hospital to the coroner as it was unexpected and the result of an accident or injury. The coronial investigation involved a review of the medical records as well as consideration of affidavits provided by Mr. BL's family, a shop employee where the fall had occurred and from the facility manager where Mr. BL resided. The coroner also received a statement from an emergency specialist at the hospital who had been consulted about Mr. BL at the time and an opinion from a coronial medical advisor. CCTV footage of Mr. BL's fall was examined. In his affidavit, Mr. BL's son asked why a CT scan of Mr. BL's head had not been carried out earlier at the time of his presentation to hospital. The coroner acknowledged that paramedics treating Mr. BL did not specifically describe that he had struck his head in the fall. Their report did describe, however, a developing hematoma in the right parietal area. In the emergency department, he was noted to be confused and had evidence of blunt head trauma with bruising. It appeared, though, that the treating clinicians interpreted Mr. BL's fall as a likely syncopal event relating to a possible cardiac issue, and from that point, the head injury was not considered further. The emergency consultant in his submission referred to documentation made by the treating ED doctor in Mr. BL's medical record of Canadian CT Head Rule 1 for age alone. It appeared that there was recognition at the time that a CT head scan was warranted based on the criteria of Mr. BL's presentation and his age, but for reasons unclear, this did not occur. Mr. BL's case was not taken to inquest for further investigation, rather an in-chambers finding was handed down by the coroner. Coroner's Findings Although no comments or recommendations were made, the coroner stated, there is no reason I can discern why a CT scan of Mr. BL's head was not performed. His chances of survival and recovery were, in my view, markedly reduced by the decision not to carry out that standard procedure. Author's Comments The clinicians treating Mr. BL focused on a single aspect of his clinical presentation, plus their own interpretation of the circumstances that brought him into the emergency department, to the detriment of assessing all his injuries and taking into account his age. In this way, there appears to have been an element of tunnel vision and a loss of situational awareness. 
a consideration of Mr. Bial's age, his injuries, the circumstances surrounding his presentation, followed by the careful application of clinical rules and guidelines to aid in the decision-making process for appropriate clinical investigations, may have prevented the missed diagnosis and subsequent deterioration. Falls, especially from ground level in older adults, are common. Head trauma in the older person brings with it specific considerations for clinicians. Subdural hemorrhages related in part to increased adherence of the dura to the skull in the aged as well as brain atrophy, providing more room for bleeding within the cranium, are factors clinicians need to weigh up in their assessment of patients presenting with falls and possible head trauma. This case serves as a reminder to be open to all the information the patient brings, including the circumstances, injury patterns, and so on. In addition, it is crucial that clinicians remember that once a plan is made, it must be seen through. If an investigation is intended but not carried out, robust feedback and review mechanisms should be in place that can alert the trading team to any omissions in the planned care for a patient. Our next segment in this episode is more on the matter. Here we briefly highlight two more cases involving falls in older persons. More on the matter, from up high or down low, from Dr Nicola Cunningham, emergency physician and forensic physician, adjunct associate professor, Department of Forensic Medicine, Monash University. Case vignette one. Mr. P.S. was a 72-year-old man in relatively good health who fell a distance of approximately three metres to the ground through a plastic skylight on a roof he had been attempting to clean. He was flown to a major trauma centre where CT scans revealed non-survivable head injuries and he died the following day. Post-mortem investigations showed a left subdural hemorrhage, generalised subarachnoid hemorrhage, a left scalp hematoma and a possible left parietal fracture. He also had fractured several ribs and thoracic vertebrae bodies and his right scapula. His cause of death was listed as multiple injuries sustained in a fall from a height. The coroner reviewed Victorian coronial data on falls leading to death between the 1st of January 2013 and 31st of December 2020, noting that there were 60 deaths averaging 5 to 10 per year, the majority of whom were men aged between 75 to 79 years. The coroner referenced findings from the Victorian government's Ladder Safety Matters campaign that reported there were approximately 1,200 emergency department presentations due to ladder falls each year, and hospital admissions for ladder falls had increased by more than 20% in the past five years. The coroner commended the campaign in continuing to improve community awareness in this area and reiterated safety advice for older persons using ladders, such as maintaining three points of contact with the ladder and having another person assist with the stability of the ladder. Case Vignette 2. Miss B.S. was a 67-year-old woman with a history of Addison's disease and arterial thrombosis for which she was prescribed warfarin. She felt dizzy at home and collapsed, falling through a glass door and sustaining deep cuts to her left arm and leg. She managed to call a taxi to take her to her GP, who then dressed her wounds and called an ambulance to transport her to an emergency department. From there, she was admitted and transferred to the operating theatre for debridement and suturing of her wounds. 
Postoperatively, she was seen by a physician to review possible causes for her fall. The following day, she was seen by a physiotherapist, the surgeon, and the physician with a view to discharge. The physician noted she had extensive bruising around her back without focal rib or spine tenderness. She went home later that day. The next morning, Miss B.S. called on her neighbour for assistance. She complained of feeling clammy and faint and her breathing was shallow. An ambulance was called to convey her to hospital. However, on their arrival, she suffered a cardiopulmonary arrest and could not be revived. An autopsy revealed multiple rib fractures and contusion of the lung, which histologically appeared to have predated the resuscitation efforts. There was 250 milliliters of blood in the left pleural cavity. Her cause of death was listed as hypoxic respiratory failure due to a traumatic chest injury from a fall at home. The coroner noted that a tertiary trauma survey was missing from the hospital documentation and a chest x-ray had not been done during Miss B.S.'s admission, both of which may have revealed more extensive trauma, particularly in the setting of chest bruising. The coroner highlighted the importance of recognising the special area of trauma in older persons. Let's now listen to the expert commentary by Dr. Glenn Arendts. Expert commentary, The Trips and Traps of Falls, from Dr. Glenn Arendts, Associate Professor, Medical School, the University of Western Australia, Consultant Emergency Physician, Fiona Stanley Hospital, WA. Falls are the leading cause of trauma-related death in older people, and the age-adjusted mortality in adults aged 75 years or more directly due to falls has increased by 5% per annum over the last decade. For any health system that concerns itself with major trauma, falls should be core business. However, injurious death is still only a tiny part of the false story. The lifetime risk of dying from a fall is less than 1 in 100, and many older people have recurrent falls, so the likelihood of any single fall from standing height being fatal is very low. There are about 4 million Australians aged 65 years or more, of which approximately 1 million will fall at least once per year, with fewer than 5% of these falls resulting in any medical consultation. And where injury does occur, the majority is non-life-threatening injury, including abrasion, contusion, and minor fracture. For me, this represents the many traps, but also fulfilling opportunities of falls assessment. At the extreme pointy end of the falls pyramid is serious life-threatening injury. Yet, the vast majority of falls-related work is appreciating what a fall represents in the life of an older person a sentinel indicator of increasing frailty and multifactorial perceptual disturbance, sometimes with an acute medical condition superimposed. Concentrating your efforts on identifying and managing injury alone is likely to miss this point in most false consultations. A simple thing we can all do to help shift focus in our clinical practice is to stop using the term mechanical fall. In my experience, this is immediately interpreted as the fall being just situational bad luck, and as long as we can patch up the injuries today, we need not worry about the fall too much. I recommend getting rid of the term mechanical fall from your lexicon. Try to view a fall in any circumstance, not as diagnosis, but as an outcome of another diagnosis or diagnoses combined. 
I lead a team that has transformed falls management in emergency departments with a model that has since been adopted in selected emergency departments nationally and internationally. Comprehensive falls assessment can seem overwhelming as there appears to be so much to be done and a blurring in the lines of responsibility between what is and is not core emergency work. We try to break down falls assessment into manageable priorities and devote appropriately weighted time to each of these. The key is starting the process from triage. Do not under triage falls, but use the fall as a trigger to start this time guided process from the moment the patient arrives. Our falls program works optimally with high volume of false presentations and the space in a short stay ward to manage these. But even smaller and less well resourced settings can use the principles of our program. One, start the process at triage. Two, use standardized structured processes to screen for serious injury, underlying medical illnesses and falls risk factors. And three, prioritize the things that need to be done early over the things that still need to be done but can wait. Though most falls are not fatal, the deaths highlighted in this podcast are illustrative of fall-related death and there are important lessons from each of these. Rib fractures, such as in the case of Mr. GC, are a cause of morbidity and mortality in trauma in older people, and cumulatively each fracture matters. The odds ratio of death in an older person increases by 1.2 with every additional rib fracture. An important consideration is that the patient may initially look comfortable with no oxygen requirements, but subsequently deteriorate over the next 12 to 24 hours as the underlying lung becomes stiffer and less complaint and hyperventilation due to pain worsens. We default to admit all older patients with more than one rib fracture with continuous oximetry monitoring and aggressive multimodal analgesia, including where possible regional anesthesia. Specialized cardiothoracic trauma centers are now using surgical rib fixation in highly selected older patients with multiple fractures. In my experience, even amongst specialist emergency physicians and neurosurgeons, there is widespread misapplication of clinical decision rules to guide neuroimaging, such as the Canadian head CT rule, because of an unfortunate term, minor head injury. A minor head injury, as described in the derivation of the rule, is an injury followed by a loss of consciousness or ongoing disorientation in a patient with a Glasgow Coma Scale of 13 to 15. Patients aged over 65 years with a minor head injury cannot safely be discharged without a cranial CT, but minor head injuries have a specific definition. Trivial bumps on the head with no symptoms are not minor head injuries, and the Canadian CT rules do not imply that CT scanning is necessary in all older patients with a trivial head injury. The case in this podcast of Mr. BL is atypical in that anticoagulation to manage his acute coronary syndrome was being considered post-head injury, and I agree that as the patient lost consciousness and was confused and anticoagulation being commenced, an early cranial CT is good practice in those circumstances. You may still choose to do neuroimaging in some trivial injuries based on your clinical gestalt, especially patients on anticoagulation or dual antiplatelet therapy. I also have a lower threshold for a cranial CT scan in trivial head injuries in older patients that fall backwards rather than forwards. 
Forward falls are more often cushioned by the forearms and wrists, as well as the face that acts, as a colleague once aptly described to me, as the human airbag for the brain. Finally, cervical spine plane x-rays are of limited value in trauma in older people, and a CT scan should be the first-line investigation in an older person with suspected cervical spine trauma after a fall. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast episode. If you go to our print edition of the March 2022 Clinical Communicate, you'll find a diagram explaining the Canadian head CT rules and also a table that accompanies Dr. Arendt's expert commentary that shows how we can break down false assessment in the older person. Remember, the online print versions are available at our website at www.thecommunicase.com, which also include hyperlinks and a list of resources and any references that the case summary authors and experts recommend. I'm Nicola Cunningham. Thanks for listening.